Lord Jesus was criticized all the time. And usually by people that should have known better. Matter of fact, almost always by people that should have known better. The Pharisees, who were teachers of the word of that time. Um, Sadducees, religious leaders, the, the priests. They all, people that should have recognized him, criticized him. And one day, Jesus was eating and fellowshipping with, or I don't know about fellowship, spending time with some notorious sinners, people that were just known for doing all kinds of things wrong. And the Pharisees looked at him, and they just let him have it. They said, what are you doing eating with these people, drinking with these people, spending time with these people? Don't you know you're better than them like we are? And Jesus launched into a parable where he shared four things that are lost. Now, because of the holidays, I didn't get to finish that series until today. But you'll remember that the four things that were lost in this one parable were a lost coin, a lost sheep, uh, a lost son, and a lost brother. And we dealt with the first three, and I want to deal with the fourth one today, the lost brother. Now, a lot of people that teach on this parable don't deal with this elder brother because they don't see him as lost, but I do. I see him as lost in a very real way, and I'm going to show you how. But let's read now Luke 15, starting at verse 20. We're jumping right in to when the prodigal son has come to himself and said, what in the world am I doing in this pig pen, in this far country? I had it way better at home. I'm returning home. And so it says he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, he, went, he really went out there. He was a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, his rehearsed speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't even listen to him. He said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be what, everybody? Mary. Why? Verse 24 tells us, for this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. We ought to always shout in church when somebody gets saved or when somebody comes back home. Now we jump into Verse 25, and here comes Elder Bro. And he has a problem with this being Mary stuff. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What's going on in the house? And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound... Your father has killed the fatted calf. Well, right there, the elder brother should have broken into a celebration. But he didn't. Look at his reaction. Verse 28, he was angry. And he would not go in. Therefore, his father had to come out to him and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, I love this. Lo, I hear the violin playing. These many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? And the father responded, son, you're always with me, 
and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Isn't that a great, great story? Come on, everybody. Amen. Now, today, I want to deal with how we ought not ever be like the elder brother, and we need to be like the father in this story. Because 2019, we're going to be winning a lot of souls. Let me say that again. 2019, we're going, not just, listen, you're saved, and, and we're all about getting you edified and built up in the faith, but part of your spiritual growth lies in reaching out to others. And so we're going to go for the lost. We're going to go for the backslidden. We're going to go for the prodigals. But you've got to have the right viewpoint of them or you'll never care about them. And so that's why I'm sharing this today. Father, thank you for your word today. And I pray that you will open our eyes and help us to see people like you do. Help us to see the lost like you do and the prodigals like you do, the backsliders like you do, and not like the elder brother. Change our minds. Renew our minds. Give us your heart today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your eyes. Help me to see people like you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a great soul winning year. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, I've already shared with you uh, that this is... A chapter, Luke 15 is a great chapter, everybody ought to read it, because it's all about lost and found. It's called the lost and found chapter. Four things lost, four things found. Now, this, this particular story, the prodigal son, is probably Jesus' best known parable. If you were to walk up to anybody on the street and say, tell me one parable that Jesus taught, they would probably say the prodigal son. It's his most famous one, I think. Now, the story contains three main characters. The father and the prodigal and the elder brother. They're the three main characters in the story. Now, the father, of course, is God. Jesus is giving us this, the father in this story to represent God. He wants us to see how God sees people. So the father is God. The prodigal represents pretty much everybody. How many of you have ever been prodigal? Tell the truth. Raise your hand. Don't lie in church. All right. All of us have drifted from the Father, and and all of us needed to be saved when we were saved. Amen? How many of you are so thankful for amazing grace touching you when it did? Have you ever stopped to think where you'd be if not for amazing grace? Where would you be? I guarantee you wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning after a game last night. I'm noticing who's not here. They'll be coming in at 1030 and noon who are usually here because they were up late. I'll leave it there. So the prodigal represents almost everybody. We've all drifted. We've all sinned. We've all needed his mercy. We've all needed his grace. We've all been uptight about whether or not he was going to receive us when we came back. And the elder brother, who we're going to talk about today, represents self-righteous, religious people who are all about rules and regulations and performance-driven love. They believe that they must earn the Father's love. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But everybody say religious. Now, you've got to understand, when I say religious, I'm not talking about Christianity. 
Religion is very different from Christianity, and I'm going to show you that today. So I'm going to focus on the elder brother because the spirit or the attitude of this elder brother is alive and well in the church at large, and it needs to be addressed because you're never going to reach people if you have the spirit of this elder brother. Amen? So I want to talk about him, and I want to just kind of just take what Jesus has told us about him and sort of dissect him and pick him apart and, and look at his character and look, and look at what happened to this young man who should have had a totally different attitude when his brother came home. His brother came home from disaster. His brother almost lost his life. His brother was almost gone forever. His brother was almost eternally damned. He should have been shouting, but look at his attitude. What happened to him? Well, first we see in the story that this elder brother had confused service with relationship. Think about that. He was so busy with the work of the father, he never really knew the father of the work. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. He was so busy doing the father's business that he never really got to know the father. This young man never really knew the father he served didn't work for him, or he worked for him, but he didn't know him. Let me show you. He was in the house, but he was unlike the house. How's that happen? He's in it, but he's unlike it. He's in it, but he's not reflecting the attitude of the house. He doesn't have the character of the house. He's grown up around the father, but he's not like the father. He he has the father's goods, but he doesn't have the father's heart. He's baffled by the father's mercy. He does not get it. He sees his father celebrating the return of his son. He thinks he ought to be castigating him. He thinks he ought to be rejecting him, condemning him, beating him, letting him have it. And he's infuriated by the father's forgiveness. He just does not understand. So I want you to notice something. You can be in the house of God, but not catch the God of the house. Catch this now. There's people all over church, churches in America and around the world right now who come every Sunday. They go to Sunday school. They do all the, all the stuff. They go to the potluck dinners and they know everybody and they, they've got their chair that nobody better sit in but them. And they're known. Everybody knows who they are. But, but the way they look at the down and outers and the way they look at people that are not saved, the way they judge others is totally unlike the God of the house. See, you can be right under the father's nose and miss the father. Here's what he's teaching us. It's powerful. He illustrates the subtle trap, I think, of forgetting that you were once just like the people you're now condemning. How many of you can say, when the Lord got me, I was up to no good? Come on, everybody. Don't don't put that halo on here in church. Say, when the Lord got me, I was up to no good. I was, I was not out there. I, I did not have angels' wings. Amen? How many of you can say, I had devil's horns, but I didn't have angels' wings? Come on. But, but see, you can be in church for a while. Here's the elder brother. You can be in the father's house for a while, and he's delivered you from your stuff. He has washed you from your sin. You're no longer addicted to this, that, and the other, and he has really done a good thing for you. And when you're in that long enough, you tend to forget from whence you have come. And when you do that, you start looking at people who are where you used to be and, and, you, and you cop an attitude about them. You say, look at them. That's disgusting. That's loathsome. I can't believe they're living that way. 
What are they doing living that way? And, 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 and you become like a Pharisee instead of like Jesus. You get that Pharisee attitude where they said, Jesus, what are you doing eating and drinking with these people? You ought to be like us. We're above them. See, they taught the Father, but they didn't walk like the Father. They didn't have the Father's heart. They were experts on the Word of God, but they were amateurs in the God of the Word. The elder brother is a cautionary tale that you can be in the Father's house and not walk in the Father's heart. Listen to what the Bible says. All of us used to be just as they are. Who's the they? Those that that Jesus was eating and drinking with. We used to be just as they are. Our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and we're under God's anger, just like everyone else. So the way we all were is just the way they are. And Jesus sat down with them, and ate with them, and talked with them, and loved them, and didn't reject them, and didn't spurn them, and did not judge them, and did not turn them away. But here's the Pharisees. How can you be around people like that? You can be in the church, yet become unlike the Lord of the church. Now, in this story, Jesus illustrates for us just exactly what our Heavenly Father is like. What is is the Heavenly Father like? What is God like? What is God really like? I've had so many people tell me through the years... Well, your God, he's mean, he's evil, he's, you know, he's fire-breathing, he's got a furrowed brow, there's steam coming out of his ears, he's unmerciful, he's cruel. In, in the Old Testament, he did terrible things to people and led his people to do terrible things to others. How can you tell me he's a God of love? Let me tell you what the Bible says about the God who sent his only begotten son. Jesus shows us in the parable. We see that he longs for the return of his wayward children. He longs for their return. When I look at the God of the Old and New Testament, and and listen to me, everybody, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New are one and the same. There's not two different gods, one in the Old, one in the New. They are the same. There's just different manifestations of the character of God in the Old and in the New. But he's the same God. The Lord our God is one God. One God. So I see he's quick on forgiveness and long on mercy. He rejoices when a sinner comes home, and that means you and me. He hates sin, but he desperately loves the sinner. He's not the God that the devil loves to paint for us, especially in the theater of our mind, a God of anger, condemnation, rejection, impossible standards, and so on and so forth. He's, we, we, we often view God as sort of a gotcha God who just waits for us to make a mistake so he can squash us like a bug and hurl us into hell. Mean God. That's not the God of the Bible. Yes, there will be a judgment day. Let me be clear. A judgment day is coming. There is going to be a day when all sin is judged. But until then, God chooses mercy over judgment. Listen to what these verses say about God. The Lord is good to all. Everybody say good. He's good to all. How many? All. He's good to everybody. And he has compassion on all he has made. Notice the two alls there. He's good to the evil and the good. He's he's good. 
Our God is good. We go around all the time saying God is good all the time and all the time God is good. People say, why do you keep saying that slogan? Because the Lord is good all the time and all the time the Lord is good. Because right here the Bible says the Lord is good. Everybody say good. He's good. He's good. He's good to all. He has compassion on everything he has made. It goes on. God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. So rather than looking forward to squashing us and hurling us into hell, look what God says. I don't take pleasure in the death of anybody lost. Now the, the death of the righteous is precious to God because they're coming home. But the death of the wicked, God says, I take no pleasure in it at all. I encourage you to repent so you can live. God says to Moses, he describes himself to Moses. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness. Listen to those adjectives. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I don't get mad quickly at you. I'm abounding, overflowing. My cup overflows with love for people, and I'm faithful. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm faithful to my word. I watch over it to perform it. Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, his, God's son, that is God's S-U-N, he makes his son to rise on bad people and on good people. He sends rain on those who are right with God and those who are not right with God. Every single day the sun rises on people that blaspheme his name all day long. He allows them to make money. He allows them to live well. He allows them to go where they want and do what they want. Hoping that the goodness of God will lead them to repentance. He's good. Here's the adjectives I just read out of the Bible. Good, compassionate, gracious, patient, loving, kind, faithful. That's the Father who sent the Son. Amen? Come on. Give God praise. We're serving a good God. But now here's the deal in the parable. The elder brother never understood this about his own father. He never saw it. He never caught it. It never became a part of his life. Rather than becoming like him, he instead became a religious stiff. Right under the father's nose. Just like many of God's people do today in churches. We develop a religious attitude in the way that we deal with and view people. You've got to be so careful of that. And the religious Pharisees that Jesus was addressing in this parable, they were the worst of all. Their attitude towards the people that Jesus was trying to reach was, we're above you. We're better than you. We know God and na 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 you don't. And we're righteous and you're not. But Jesus' attitude toward the lost, which must be our attitude in 2019. Listen, they are, they are like lost sheep without a shepherd. That's the way I see them. I don't see myself as better than them. And I'm God wrapped in skin. But I... I'm sitting with them, talking with them. I'll do all I can to reach and save them. I love them. I'm not going to put them at arm's length. That's not why I came. I came to grab them and pull them close. And so the way we view people is either going to be the elder brother view or the Jesus view. So the elder brother in this parable 
is just like the religious Pharisees and like many religious people inhabiting churches today who are in the Father's house, but they don't have the Father's heart. How many of you want the Father's heart? Come on. You want the Father's heart. So when you look at somebody that's out there living crazy, you don't judge them, castigate them, criticize them, jump on them. You say, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're so lost and they need my Savior. So I'm going to talk to them. If I need to sit down with them and share with them, I'm going to. I'm not going to judge them, but I'm going to love them. Come on, everybody. Come on. Come on. Now, the second thing I see about this elder brother is he was unforgiving. He walked in a spirit of unforgiveness. The Bible says he was angry when he saw his father forgive the elder brother, and he would not go into the party. He stayed outside the party fuming while everybody else, the entire household, was in the house having a great big celebration party that this kid who almost died has come home. Rather than rejoice that his little brother was saved, he resented the father receiving him back. Now let me bring this home and get real. Can I get real here today? Say, can I get real here today? Say, get real, Pastor Jeff. Okay, let me get real with you. Let me shoot straight with you. Here's the deal. In In the modern church today, there are people just like this. When one of God's children messes up, the elder brother types believe that they should never be allowed back into the church's good graces. They never let them off the hook. They they snub them in social gatherings. Have you ever seen the look from a believer who's judging you? I've seen the look happen from this way to this way and this way to this way in church before. I've gotten the look. How many of you know what the look is? The look. The look. Uh Uh-huh. I know what you did. I know where you've been. I know how you fell. Uh Uh-huh. I'm giving you the look. I'm in church, so I can't tell you what I really want to tell you, but I can give you the look, and the look can bore a hole in the wall from here to here. How many of you have ever been victimized by that look? All right, the look. Uh, I know who you are. I know who you really are. You're sitting here like a great big fat hypocrite with your hands up in the air, but I know what you did, and I'm giving you the look. The look. The look hurts. (laughs) some of you are looking at the ground, make sure I don't think you're giving me the look. (laughs) But you know who I'm talking about here, don't you? They'll judge you for the rest of your days for something you did long ago. They never let you off the hook. They gossip. They gossip the sins of somebody else to other people, even though God has forgiven them long ago. Look at how the little brother uh, was thrown under the bus by elder brother right in the father's face. He, he, the elder brother goes right up to the father and says, this son of yours, I love the way he distances himself from him. Not this little brother of mine, but this son of yours, this kid of yours. Have you ever noticed how we do that with our children? When they make straight A's, it's my boy, my girl. But when they do badly in school, your son... That girl of yours, look what he says. This son of yours has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and he broadcast the whole mess where everybody in the house could hear it. But Paul wrote that we Christians are not to be that way at all. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. How many of you can say, I'm forgiven? And I've forgiven of a lot of sin. Come on, tell the truth. Raise your hand. I'm forgiven of a lot of sin. 
All right, if God forgave you for a lot of sin, how can we castigate somebody who also sinned? We can't, not really. So he says, instead of, you know what occurred to me one day? I'm studying my Bible, and this occurred to me. This occurred to me. Peter fell so badly. Oh, my, Peter fell. Peter had said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never run out on you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus looked at him like he does us. He, he knew him inside out. He said, Peter, not only are you going to deny me, you're going to do it three times with pizzazz. And you're going to do it tonight. Peter said, ain't no way, no way I'm going to ever deny you. And that night, with three different people, he denied the Lord. Third time, calling down cursings. Now, it was bad. He fell. He fell so bad he went out and wept bitterly and then he decided to leave the ministry and, he, and, and return to his old life of fishing. And Jesus had to come find him and restore him. But you know what hit me? Not one time, except for an honest accounting in the Gospels of what happened to him. But when you get into the epistles, the writings of, of Paul, the writings of John, the writings of Jude, the writings of James, not one time do they ever mention his fall. It occurred to me, don't do what Peter did, none of that. You know why? They overlooked it. They forgave him like God had forgiven him also. They didn't beat him with it. They didn't remind him of it. They didn't put it in his face. They just said, you know what? We see you through the eyes of Jesus and not through the eyes of judgmental flesh. Come on, everybody. So the elder brother didn't catch the father's heart, and he had an unforgiving spirit. And the last thing is this. He, he was self-righteous. Oh, he was self-righteous. Listen to what he dumps on the father. Lo, these many years, I, everybody say I, have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Five personal pronouns in one short verse. I, I, me, I, my. Sounds to me like his life is all about himself. He's one of these people, that's enough talking about me, now let's talk about me. They look in the mirror and sing, there is none like you. He, it's all about him. It's all about him. I, I, me, my, mine. You could write a song about that. I, I, me, my, mine. It's all about me. He, he's thinking all about him. He's having a pity party, and he is so self-righteous. Now, I want you to notice, I have been serving you. I never transgressed. Notice what he's telling the Father. I never, never, never. Now, that can't be true. That can't be true because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But in his self-righteous mind, I have never transgressed, and I've been serving you. Now, I want you to notice something. Here's a trap. Watch this closely, church. Notice how his sense of righteousness comes from his own performance and not the Father's grace. The elder brother was performance-driven. He was not about grace. And that is the difference between religion and true Christianity. Listen carefully to me. Religion cracks a cruel whip saying... Do, do, do in order to earn God's acceptance and God's love. But Christianity places faith in what Jesus has already done, done, done on your behalf. 
Okay, now catch this now. Because in the West, we, we've got, this, we've got this, this attitude, we've got this belief system, we've got this way down inside of us that, that, that we're not going to be accepted unless we earn it. That nobody, somebody's not, not going to love us unless we earn it. That whatever we get, we must earn. And if I don't earn it, I'm not going to get it. But when it comes to the Father's love and Christianity and salvation, all of that goes out the door. Because it has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with what he has done. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Come on, everyone. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sin away. Christianity is all about what he's done and putting our faith in what he's done. But this elder brother never caught it. He thought he had to earn the Father's love. I've never transgressed. I've always served you. Performance, 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 performance. So you ought to love me. And since little bro has blown it, you ought to be rejecting him because he hasn't performed well. So he did not understand that God loved him unconditionally. It's so easy to think that God's love rises or falls on our performance. We get up and we say, if I do well today, he's going to love me more. If I mess up, he's going to love me less. If we have a bad day, we get in the flesh, we're in rush hour traffic, and we say something we shouldn't, cop an attitude we shouldn't. We go home and say, well, well, I'm, not, I'm just, God doesn't accept me like he did yesterday when I, when I blessed that person that cut in front of me. Today, I certainly did not bless them. And so he loves me less. And we don't understand. Listen, listen. God's love is twofold. He loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. Come on, everyone. Amen? He loves you just the way you are. I want you to say with me, he loves me just the way I am. That's right. If you die today, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He's, he's got one goal with you and me, and that is to make us more like Jesus Christ, to chisel and shape and mold and form Jesus Christ into our life. But through it all, his love is never earned by performance. It's received as a gift of grace, and this elder brother never got that. The key verse that separates false religion from true Christianity is this one verse. Here's the verse that, that shows the difference. I want you to say it with me. It's up there. Let's read it together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Stop. How was I saved? By faith. Well, there's got to be more. No. How was I saved? By faith. And then what does it say? And not your own doing. Let's take your out and put my. And not my own doing. It is the gift of God. That's how I'm saved. Now, let me ask you a million-dollar question. If I'm saved by faith, by the grace of God, if I'm saved by faith, if he delivers me from hell to heaven, from lost to found, from blind to sight, from dead to life by faith, then, then shouldn't the rest of my Christian life also be by faith and not by works? If he saved me by faith, how can I lose it by making a mistake? It has nothing to do with my works. It has everything to do with his works. 
The older brother, here's the deal. He totally missed one of the greatest things about the house he lived in. And the house he lived in represents the church. He missed the father's unconditional love. He missed it. Right there in front of it, he missed it. Right there under his nose, he missed it. He missed the father. How many of you want to be like the father? Come on, you want to be like the father? You want to be like the father? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And if you've seen the father, you've seen me. I'm I'm here to show you what the father is like. So the elder brother never caught the father's heart. And and had an unforgiving spirit. And he was performance-driven and self-righteous. The opposite is we want to be like the father we serve. This year, if we are like the Father we serve, we're going to view people the way we ought to view them. And when we view them that way, we're going to be able to win them. Amen? And and we need to be quick to forgive and grace-driven. And so, elder brother out, Jesus in. Amen? We don't want the attitude of the elder brother. Can we stand together today? I'm going to be honest with you. The other day I went to the store. And I got out of my car, and I'm walking into the supermarket, okay? And I noticed over here, uh, right in front of another store that's in the same shopping center, I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest with you, it's a vaping store. I don't know how by anybody would vape. That means you're... I don't even know what it is. You inhale steam or something. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But, but there were some people hanging around outside the front of this thing. And I caught myself looking at them going, huh. Why don't you go get a job? I thought to myself. And how in the world do you come out in the daytime? I'm thinking these things. I'm looking at them. And I'm thinking these things, Mr. Preacher, Pastor, man of the word. And I'm looking at them, and I'm giving them the look. (laughs) I'm being transparent with you. And boy, the Holy Ghost got a hold of me. Woo, he said, look at you. Look at you. And then he reminded me of how people used to look at me and say, get a job. And look at you, and how do you come out in the daytime? You must be a creature of the night. All that long hair and good grief. Why don't you eat something? You're too skinny. And and look at your attitude. And they looked at me and said, now here I am. I'm redeemed. And I'm I'm giving these, these people, male and female, the look. Holy Ghost got on me and said, look at you. And so I said, Lord, I'm sorry, because I used to be just like they are. Amen? So, turning point, this year, can we look at people differently? Look at them through the eyes of the Savior. Can we do that? Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Say, Jesus, change me. Change the way I look at people. If there's any elder brother in me, get him out. I repent of that attitude. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Now, with our heads bowed for a moment, maybe you're here today and say, you know, Jeff, I don't know if I have come to the Father. I don't know if I'm saved. But I've heard you talk about the Father's love and what he's like and how he loves me and that he sent his son to die for me. And I, I want that Savior. I want that love. I want that peace. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you can say, you know, at night your head hits the pillow and you go, you know, I don't know. I, I've been in church lots of times, but I don't know if I know the God of the church. I don't know if I really know the Savior of the church. I'm in the house, but I haven't been of the house. I want to pray with you because God will take you in one second and place you straight into, baptize you straight into the family of God and make you part of the house. So we're going to say a prayer and just pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Go ahead, you can do it. If if you need him, if you think you need him, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. I turn to you, not my own works, but by faith, I place my faith in what Jesus has already done. Save me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now with our heads bowed, say, Jeff, I prayed that prayer.